want to talk to you today about um, a question that is on many people's minds. I've learned over the years that you don't try to answer questions that nobody's really thinking about because they're not really focused on them. Every once in a while I may pose a question because I want to provoke somebody's thinking, but today I want to talk to you about something that is a question that has been asked of me many, many, many times over the last several weeks and months. And it's simply this. How should we live in this present age? Isn't that a great question? If you haven't noticed, we live in a culture that is constantly questioning everything. Not just the history of our country, not just the founding fathers and the principles on which uh, this country was laid, but on Christianity itself, that it's under the microscope, that it's being questioned about everything that Christianity believes in and everything that Christianity does. It started off years and years ago, and, and, and I'm, I'm not as old as I'm going to be, but I'm not as young as I used to be. And, and I remember on some of the days that I was younger that when, when I was in school, elementary school, public school, you did not have sports on Wednesdays, and you didn't have sports on Sundays. There, there wasn't any Little League on Wednesdays. There wasn't any soccer on Wednesdays. There wasn't any football or baseball on Sundays because Wednesday night and Sunday were designated as church nights. Anybody remember that? And, and it's amazing, and it was in the United States during a point in time, almost the vast majority of people could be in two categories. Those that went to church and those that knew they needed to. You know, and, and it's amazing. It's amazing that, that time has changed and, and, and it went from this truth that everybody believed to, to it was a belief system that, well, you can believe that and, and that's your truth, but it's not my truth. And it was okay for you to believe your truth as long as you allow me to believe my truth. And then it continued down that slippery slope to where Christianity was not just a belief system, but it was like a crutch for the weak-minded. And many in our culture began to look at, at Christians as, well, they're, they're people that really can't handle the truth, so they need a crutch to get by, and that's okay because they're weak, they're anemic, and they need this crutch and then it became they, that Christianity became problematic. Problematic in the sense that the direction that culture was moving and focused and, and driving, Christianity was standing in the way. And Christianity became a problem for culture. It was no longer the truth of culture. It was no longer just even a 
belief system in culture, but it became a pariah, a cancer on culture. And then now, in many aspects of our culture, of the American culture, we find that they are in direct opposition to Christianity. Did you ever think that you would ever arrive at that place? And you say, Pastor, I think that you're, you're overemphasizing. If anything, I think I'm underemphasizing. And we live in part of the Bible Belt. We may not be the buckle, but we're close. We have more Christian values in this state, or at least this, this part of the state, than many other states. I came from a state where in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area, nine million people On any given Sunday, 6% would be in church. Not to say that they weren't religious or they weren't spiritual, they just weren't Christian. It, our country, our culture has changed. It, uh, and it's amazing that, that, that we would find ourselves in a hostile environment in many ways. And I'm not just talking about people because I do believe that there are a lot of good people and I do believe that there are a lot of good people with, with a basic moral value that want to know Jesus Christ. Even those that don't. But they're being pushed and they're being prodded and they're being shoved and they're being conformed into this into the culture around them that their, their identity is being wrapped up in what they're being told that they need to do and who they need to be. And, and the scripture is plain about you and I, about followers of Jesus Christ, not being conformed to the world, but being transformed by the renewing of our minds through the word of God. How do you and I how do we, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, that not only have a passionate love for Christ and a passionate love for other Christians, but an undying, unwavering love for humanity? How do you and I, that loves our neighbor, whether they're serving Christ or not, that when you look at others that you know don't know your Lord and Savior, that your heart begins to break. Even though they're in hostility against you, you are loving them. How do you live? How do you conduct your lives in that environment? Do you become difficult and just stand up and say, this is what I believe? How do you balance compassion and grace with truth? Paul probably answers this 
as well as anybody. In his letter to the Romans, Paul is looking to, he writes this epistle, this letter, because he's looking to garner some, some help to go on a fourth missionary journey to Spain. And, and though he hasn't been to the church in Rome, and, and historians don't know exactly how the church in Rome started. Perhaps those from Rome were listed on the day of Pentecost. There were people, there were converts that came to faith in Christ on the day of Pentecost that were from Rome, and they went to Rome. And I know there's a lot of people that said that Peter went and started the church, and others went and started the church, but the truth is, when you really look at it, there's a lot of speculation, but nobody knows definitely how it started. The only thing we definitely know is this. There was a vibrant church in Rome. Passionate followers of Christ. And Paul was wanting to go and meet them personally and face to face. So he writes them a letter and says, I'm going to come to your town. And he does that in a way that he writes this amazing letter of what he believes lays out the gospel message and it's one of the most amazing books in the New Testament and it's also one of the misunderstood books in the New Testament the gospel the epistle to the Romans and, and he begins in the first 15 verses of, of chapter 1 he he, he greets them and says, hey, neighbors, how are you guys doing? Well, that's how I would write it. And uh, he, he identifies himself and gives his credentials and, because he's letting them know, hey, I'm not just a guy that's writing you a letter. Let me identify you. Let me give you my credentials that I'm an apostle called by Christ himself. And he lays it out, and then he, then he gives this salutation to them and talks about how good they are and how much he's heard about them and how much he prays for them and connects with them. And then after the first 15 verses, Paul gets to his main theme of the epistle. And, and it's after his introduction, he lays out what he is going to be writing about for the entire letter. He says this in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew... Then to the Gentile. Look at that, would you? For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous or the just will live by faith. In these two verses, Paul lines out everything a Christian needs to do to live in an unchristian, unjust culture. And the very first thing he says is, 
I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Isn't that powerful? I'm not ashamed. I don't know about you, but I'm not ashamed of what I believe. I, I'm ashamed of some things that I've done in the past. I'm sure all of us have those little cringe-worthy moments when you think about something you did or something you said or some faux pas that you that you acted on or committed and you think, ooh. You have those in your life? Am I the only one? I think we all do. I, I've been in situations where I can think about that I've been embarrassed. I've been in situations that I've been embarrassed for others. When they, when, and, and I'm thinking about various times when uh, people did things, said things, acted on things, something happened to them, and I just thought, oh, I feel so embarrassed for you. That's what Paul is saying. He said, I'm not embarrassed by the gospel. It doesn't embarrass me to believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. It doesn't embarrass me that the gospel of God is reconciliation of humanity through Christ. It doesn't embarrass me. It doesn't offend me. I am, I am not ashamed at all. I'm not ashamed to say that, that Christ fulfilled the, the law and no longer am I under the law. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for it is the power of God for salvation. If you want salvation, Paul is saying you have to come through Christ. And if you want to come through Christ, the very first thing you have to realize is you can't be ashamed of him. Don't be ashamed of what you believe. It doesn't embarrass me to proclaim Jesus Christ. I don't apologize for believing in Jesus Christ. I, I never recant what I believe in Jesus Christ. Uh, I know that the church in America has tried over the 30, 40, last 30 years or so to try to not just water down but temper the gospel by never mentioning the blood of Christ and saying that, that if we just keep going at it a little at a time and a little at a time, eventually they'll get it. It doesn't work. It hasn't worked. Have you ever tried to drink milk that was half water? It's not milk. It's not water. I don't know what it is, but I do know this. Nobody drinks it. Because you either want milk or you want water, but you don't want them mixed together. And the gospel is clear, the gospel is plain, the gospel is truth, and it doesn't need to be tempered, it doesn't need to be watered down, it doesn't need to be diluted, it doesn't need to be conformed to culture, it doesn't need to be adjusted so culture can understand it. The gospel is the gospel, and I am not ashamed to say that I am a passionate follower of Jesus Christ don't apologize revelate and you say well how do you not apologize 
it comes across so rude. You can believe in something with passion and still have compassion for those that you're sharing it with. Can you not? Why do we present the gospel to others? It's because we want them to know what we know. We want them to experience what we've experienced. We want them to understand what it's like to lay your head on your pillow at night and know that everything is right in your spirit and that if the Lord should take you, the very first thing you would do is see the face of your loving Lord and Savior. There's nothing better than knowing that you know that you know that if you were to die today, that Christ would receive you with open arms. Man, that's, you say, well, what is the gospel? It's the power of God to salvation. Revelation 12, 11 says, we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony, proclaiming what Christ has done for us. Don't dilute it. Don't, don't, don't be intimidated by culture. Don't make excuses. It's God's plan. It's not your plan. People say, well, do you really believe that Jesus is the only way? I always tell them, I, it doesn't really matter what I believe. It doesn't matter what I say. What does Scripture say? That's what we hang our hat on. That is not... That is not what I think, what I believe. It's what thus saith the word of God. Don't make excuses for God's plan of salvation. It's the way God has designed it that he required a perfect human sacrifice and God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, the only one that was perfect, the only one that was sinless, and he died for our sins, that the sins of the world were placed on him and, and through him and through faith in what he has done on the cross I can stand today and you can stand today cleansed and whole and walk into the very presence of the living God not because of your goodness and virtue but by the blood of Jesus Christ I'm not ashamed of him I know where Christ brought me from do you remember where he brought you from he brought us from death to life from under penalty of death to freedom and life don't be ashamed of what the gospel is because the gospel not only do we need not to be ashamed of it but the gospel is the power of God for salvation for all that believe I still believe humanity needs a savior I still believe that those that I rub shoulders with every single day that I, as I'm walking in the community or as I'm at the grocery store or wherever I may be 
I believe that every single person on the face of this earth needs Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior if they want to make heaven their home. I believe that. I believe I needed a Savior. I still believe in the atoning work of the blood of Christ. I still believe that there's not a, a sin, there's not a, a thing that you have done and not a, a place that you have gone, not a something that you have said that Jesus Christ cannot pardon, cannot set you free from. That there is no sinner so vile that he cannot save you. His blood cleanses from all things not just some sin but all sin the blood of jesus christ is so powerful it is the greatest cleansing agent humanity has ever known and that's why the that's why the the writer in the old testament said come let us reason together saith the lord though your sins be as scarlet they shall be as white as wool it's the blood of christ that's applied to our lives. I still believe in the atoning work of Christ. I still believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I still believe that he died for the sins of the world. I still believe that Jesus can pardon and set free all, all that come to him. Aren't you glad that you know him? Aren't you glad that he has set you free? I still believe in the power of the cross. I still believe in the church. I still believe being called out of this world. The Bible says, Come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean things. I understand that we are in a, a, a dispensation of grace, and I understand that, that when you come to Christ, that, he, that, that you receive pardon and forgiveness and i also understand that we're in this this phase this this thing called sanctification that we're growing in grace and i also understand that when the lord calls us to lay things down we need to lay them down and walk away from them and walk toward him there is a a power in being able to follow and passionately follow Jesus Christ. I believe in the church. I believe in being part of the body of Christ. I believe that he calls us to holiness. And it's not our own holiness. It's the holiness of Christ in us. And the only way to get the holiness of Christ in us is to have more of him and less of us. I still believe Christ is coming again. Not like the bumper sticker that says God's coming back and boy is he mad. I believe Christ is coming back for all that have made him their Lord and Savior. For all that have acted in faith and said, Lord, I believe you. I trust in you. That have a relationship with with him I'm not ashamed of what I believe and here's the amazing thing the apostle Paul says this I'm going to ask our praise team to come back if they would the gospel is the power of God for all that believe and he said that 
that the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. And if you look at that, from in, in that passage that we have on the screen, it says from first to last. The reason why it says first to last as opposed to faith to faith is because with the articles that it uses, it says from the first faith to the last faith. In other words, your whole life of faith. Because the believer in Christ, we don't have a, a tense for what he's trying to describe. It's not past tense, it's not present tense, it's not future tense, it's kind of everything together that, that, that we are living in, in faith in that moment, that our life is from the first time you had faith to every single day that you live in faith until the Lord comes back, until you're glorified, that the righteousness of God is revealed in the life of faith. It's not revealed in trying to follow ordinances. It's not revealed in trying to have merit on your own. It's simply faith, trusting in Christ for your every single day. Every day you wake up and you trust in Christ. Every single day, every single event in your life, you're trusting in Him. He is the beginning of faith and He is the ending of faith. The very first time you trusted in Christ's righteousness was revealed and you saw what good salvation was to you. But God continually blesses those that walk in faith and you see his righteousness and his goodness in your life every single time you step out and walk in faith on a daily basis. Faith is not exercised once. Faith is daily. Faith, trusting in Christ, Don't be intimidated by culture. Would you stand with me? This is what the scripture says. Jesus said this in Luke 9, 26. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes. 1 John 2, 28 says this. And now, little children, abide in him. What does abide mean? It means to live in, to dwell in. Abide, dwell, take up residence. Abide in Christ that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed. How can you guarantee that you will not be ashamed when Christ returns? Abide in Him. And the only way to abide in Him is to live in relationship with Him. Not just what He has done for you, but develop a personal, passionate, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He lived yesterday, He lives today, and He will live for eternity. And He is here right now in this room. And, and if you are able, and if you are willing to reach out to Him and simply say, Lord, I have been walking with you part of the time.
today I want to walk with you all the time. I want to abide in you. He will not turn you away. Believing is walking with Christ. It's walking in an intimate relationship with Him. Can I, can I elaborate just for a moment? There are times in my walk with Christ, not yours, but mine. I'll let you peer into my, my life that I've wanted to walk alone. And you say, well, that's not very right. Well, if we were truthful, we would all be there. Because there are times that we have thought, we can handle this one. We can handle this project. We can do this. And we forget to abide in Him. Can I tell you, it never works out well. So what is Paul saying to us to wrap this up? Don't be ashamed of what Christ has done for you. But live it to its fullness. Not just remembering that, that and saying, Lord, I know that you died for my sins and you ask him to forgive you, but be a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. Live your life from faith to faith, from the beginning of your faith to the end of your faith, every single day, live in faith. And the only way to live in faith and trust in Christ is to give Him everything in your life. Allow Christ to be Lord, to be center of all things. Would you pray with me?